Welcome to the Average G.I. Joe Podcast with your host, Adam Herrera, a one-on-one conversation between two veterans. On this week's show is... Yeah, my name's Matt. Uh, I was in from 06 to 2010, uh, stationed at 29 Palms. I was artillery. All right, Matt. Uh, once again, I appreciate you for doing this. Um, yeah, man, no problem. Uh, I'd like to start off with some preliminary questions, starting with, uh, do you have any military history in your family? Yeah, my grandpa was airborne. He just missed Korea. Uh, his brother was, I think it was Navy. And then his other brother was, uh, he was also Marine uh, back in the day. But I, I, don't th- I, I think he missed Korea too. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much all the military that was, that's been in my family. And the, the second question I'd like to ask is, uh, how much does your, whatever you consider your immediate family, how much do they know about your, mil- your general military history? I think they know pretty much everything. Um, just because for a while there, I really struggled and my mom and dad were they're really concerned about me for a little bit there uh-huh. for, for a little while there. Uh, my brother, he knows, but he's not, my brother's autistic. So it's not like he's very, I guess, able to connect or understand it very mm-hmm. much. He's not, you know, crazy on the spectrum, but he is on the spectrum, but he still has that kind of connection. Um, those connection issues with people and everything. I got gotcha. you. Um, I like to start these interviews off like from like the high school age because that's when you know we got to start making decisions about where we're going to be going in life. Um, yeah, can you just tell everybody really quickly where you're from. Uh, Covina, California, West Covina as well. Um, it's about I don't know without traffic, maybe 25 minutes east of LA. Yeah, how did you like growing up there? I mean, it was fine. Uh, you know, aside from all the bullshit going through with the parents divorce and everything at that age and everything but you know um i mean it was it's a guy this is a nice little area it's nothing too crazy no nothing too nice nothing too you know hard i guess what type of uh activities or hobbies were you into in high school honestly dude i just i played sports growing up um but once i hit high school I think my sophomore year, I stopped just because I ended up getting a job. It was my first job, and yeah. I just kind of did that. Um, and then just, you know, going out with friends. And I never really partied until – I don't even think I went to my first party until I was, like, a senior in high school. Yeah. So, um, you know, just hanging out around the house, doing whatever, skateboarding, uh, I don't know, playing football with friends in the backyard, that kind of stuff. Uh, when you were asked what you wanted to be when you grew when you grow up, what was your typically your answer? Well, as a real little kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. As I grew older, um, I ended up telling everybody I wanted to be in the military. I first I wanted to be a pilot, but I wasn't exactly an A student, <laughs> so um, at that point, I just wanted to serve. Yeah, and yeah. Um, my dad always hyped up the Marine Corps. So that's ultimately what I wanted to do. Um, 
And at first I wanted to, I guess I was thinking about my future and I was like, okay, what can I do in the Marine Corps that's going to transfer outside of that? So I wanted to be crash fire rescue, um, to be a firefighter when I got out. But then once I, I don't know, it was like a month before I went to boot camp. I got a hair up my ass and decided that I wanted to see combat. Uh, so I wanted to go infantry, but SOI was backed up like a month or two at the time. So I wouldn't have been able to go to boot camp when I wanted to uh-huh. or as soon as I wanted to. And I mean, it was only a month that it would have gotten pushed back. I think something like that, but I, I wanted to get the hell out of here as soon as possible. So I just went under the combat support option. And I think that option was like tanks, artillery, uh, AAVs and something else. I forget what. Uh, and I just went in open contract under that, um, under that umbrella, I guess. And I ended up getting put in artillery. So was that just like a, that's where the Marine Corps needed bodies. And I think that's what it was. I think I could be wrong, but I think what happened was, I think I was supposed to be AAVs because I think he, I think he needed swim qual two for that. And I passed two and three, or I think it was four and three and I failed two. So I remember my drill instructor came up to me and like four of the guys and told us that we needed swim call two for our MOS, but then I failed swim call two again. So I think that that's why I, I think I was supposed to be AAVs, but then once I failed swim call two, I'm pretty sure they just tossed my ass in artillery. Uh, and just to let you know that Josh and I, we, uh, we're like as, as Navy as we can get, we've never worked or met a Marine while we were serving. So if I use any Navy terminology, feel free to correct me in the Marine Corps terminology. That, uh, I know that level two swim call is very difficult. I remember we, there was a group of us for some reason. I don't know what it was, but we're all going out for this level two swim call. And I know I I took it two or three times and couldn't pass it. It was quite, quite uh, Mm -hmm. challenging. I think it was like a, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was like a 50, like a 50 meter, uh, swim with, I think full gear or something like that. Like a, like a pack and clothes, like camo and, you know, fake rifle. I think, I think that's what it was. Something like that. You had to tread water for 50 meters over to the other side of the pool. And then you had to jump out and I think you had to like save somebody or something like that. And then swim back. I think it was something, it was something like kind of difficult like that. I don't remember exactly. It's been a long time. Um, I want to bring it back really quickly to prior to uh, joining, but uh, um, did you talk to any other branches at all? Yeah, because my parents were very not against me going to the Marine Corps, but they really wanted me to do like either the Navy or the Air Force. Yeah. So I told them that I would talk to the Navy or for, I told them I would talk to everybody and I did. The easy stuff. <laughs> no, I think it was more the fact that it's the Marine Corps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably going to get thrown into combat and everything. Yeah, yeah. And they were afraid of that. So they didn't even really want me going to the Army. Uh, but I did talk to everybody just to basically make them happy. Uh, but ultimately, I still wanted to go to the Marine Corps. 
Uh, what was your uh, your talks with the Marine Corps recruiter like? Uh, Did they need to sell you? Because like when I was getting recruited, I, I was I knew I was going. You know, my my junior year of high school, I knew I was gonna be enlisting, and like and like my, my my recruiter tried to get sell me the whole experience, but like I was like, just tell me where to sign, dude. Yeah. I think it was kind of the same thing with me. My recruiter was pretty like, yo, this is what it is. Like, I'm not going to try to sell you on the shit. Like, I don't know if he did that because that's how he recruits or because I told him that I really want to do this. And he, so he kind of just figured it was a, you know, an easy, an easy sign up. So I think the sales pitch has become more desperate as the quotas. You know, if they've yeah. gotten their quotas for the month and somebody walks in and says, hey, I'm ready. Oh, okay, cool. Here and sign in the deadline. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he was also a pretty cocky bastard at the same time. You know, oh, I, you know, I'm one of the top recruiters in the freaking country and blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> I, I don't think he really, if that's true, I, I he probably didn't feel like he needed to sell me on it. It's an honor to be recruited by <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He was a cool guy. Don't get me wrong. He was super cool, but yeah. Uh, what were what were some of your preconceptions about uh, boot camp and military life that you had prior to joining? I mean, everybody said it was hard. You know, I just took that and didn't really didn't really think about it too much. I didn't want to yeah. worry about it at the time and everything. I was like, you know what? I just want to do this, and whatever happens, happens. And um. Everybody had talked about like the physical beatings that you, you would get and everything. But then that was from some of the older guys that I had spoken to. And now here, like being at the recruiting station, talking to the other, you know, the guys that just graduated that were on recruiters assist- assistance at the office, they would always say, nah, like it, it, it generally doesn't happen anymore. That being said, I, you know, I, I got grabbed a few times by the neck and, you know, little things like that, but nothing super, I didn't get my ass beat or anything like that. So uh, I wasn't you, really too concerned about any of that shit. Did you get any advice prior to going to boot camp? Just get in shape, get in shape while you can. I mean, I was at the freaking recruiting office every day doing the pulley functions and, you know, had you, had you, watched, had you watched a full metal jacket before? <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> <laughs> my recruiter was big on playing the uh, – I don't know if you remember that. I think it was called uh, Ears Open, Eyeballs Click or something like that, like that documentary where uh, throughout the uh, throughout boot camp for the Marine Corps. Okay. I think, it was like, I think it was like a documentary type thing that somebody did that was pretty raw, and my recruiter had me watch that quite a few times just to, you know, <laughs> this is what – this is how it's going to be. Um, can you talk to us about like your your very first day of arriving to boot camp? Because that memory is pretty vivid in my mind. I remember getting off the bus ride and the yelling starting like almost immediately. Uh, do you remember your like first physical day of arriving to boot camp? Yeah, it was the same thing. You know, you get on the yellow footprints and they start giving you the rules and telling you know telling you all the shit that they tell you, and then going into the. Uh, what was it? I forget what it's called. That little area where they take all your shit away and make sure you don't have any paraphernalia and all that. And then, um, yeah, because I was like the first one of the first buses to get there, and I had shaved my head the night before. I didn't need <laughs> to go into the freaking uh, into the barber, so they 
had me and a handful of other guys go in and start, you know, passing out all the supplies and gear and everything to the other recruits that got there and after us and then spending all fucking night doing paperwork and everything. Just, I think that was probably just the worst part of that night was just not sleeping because yeah, I've never yeah. gone through that before. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the drill instructors then, they weren't, the receiving drill instructors, they weren't super fucking crazy, but they, you know, they'd get on everybody's ass like they're supposed to. But when, when, when did it first hit you that like, your life is is officially changed and this is going to be your life for the next X amount of years. Pretty much immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as soon as the yelling started, you know, and that was a big, I guess, culture shock is the best way to put it. Um, and then the drill instructors are known as drill instructors in Marine Corps boot camp. Yeah. Okay. And Army's drill sergeants, I think. Right. Uh, I, I can't remember. Pretty sure the Army's drill sergeants and it's drill instructors in the Marine Corps. Okay. So, um, really quickly, how was your overall like boot camp experience, physically and mentally? It w- it was more, I for me, be, just because I was in relatively decent shape and everything, I'd always been an athlete. The physical part wasn't as hard for me as the mental part. You know, all the stupid little games that they play you know if you know you're not loud enough you know go run to the fence you know when you before you get to the fence okay come back and just all that back and forth all this you know and then getting smoked and everything it you know all that stuff like i think that was just it was the mental part for me that was the hardest that really was just like this is kind of a fucking bitch (laughs) do you think like like had you know, because, you know, the, the boot camp is designed to, like, the the, the slower guys are, or the weaker guys are going to strengthen them up. And the guys that are, like, have big egos, they're going to bring them back down. Were you, like, typically in the middle and you just wanted to get boot camp over with? Was that kind of, like, your mentality? Pretty much. I, I was just, I just did what I was supposed to do and just shut up and, you know. <laughs> I mean, I did try to help some of the guys that were, you know. Yeah, yeah. That were having a harder time than I was, but ultimately I was just like, I just want to get the hell out of here. Um, is there anything out of boot camp that stands out in your mind as far as like an event evolution, something that, that stuck with you? I think the crucible sticks with most, you know, I think it was like three days or whatever it was that, that whole thing. Um, just what? Cause I I think it comes. Oh, go, go ahead. Can you go into detail on that crucible? I think it's like, I think it's like three days. I forget how many miles you hike and it's not just the organized hikes where it's like the entire company or anything. It's just hiking from one, you know, obstacle to the next, getting very little sleep. You know, I think it was like the last day of the crucible or the day before you only on like, I think it was only, you only get like one meal. So, and I know the MREs pack a lot of calories and everything, but still just this kind of sucks. Just kind of having, you know, ration your food out and never having done that before and everything. Um, And then that, that last hike up the Reaper, you know, that 
kind of light at the end of the tunnel when the drone structure starts start showing you a little bit of respect i think that was kind of the the highlight of it where it's like okay i can see the end of boot camp at this point you know after after today we're going back down to san diego and we're going to finish up there be out of here in a month and that was you know but the but at the same time i think a lot of the obstacles in the crucible were kind of they were kind of, you know, fun. You know, yeah, yeah. Running and, gun, you know, quote unquote, running and gunning through the, you know, the fake explosions and and all that kind of stuff. Hopping over the obstacles. You know, it, it was cool. I, I Relative, you know, relatively, it, it was fun. How big was your uh, boot camp division or whatever you want to call it? Oh, I forget. I think we had, I think in my platoon, it was like, I think we had about 80 or so, maybe 70, something like that in my platoon. And then there's, I think, four companies or four platoons in the company or something like that, I think. Were you in a, did they mix, mix on like males and females or were you? No, no, no. That, that, for that, all the females go over to uh, the East Coast and. Oh, really? Yeah. um, All the females go to the East Coast. I think, I think it was. If you're west of the Mississippi, you go to San Diego. If you're east, you go to the East Coast. But even then, I think it might have changed with the whole like trying to integrate everybody in the yeah, last yeah, couple of years. Sure. I, I don't know if they do mixed units in boot camp now, but back then it was completely separate. So I have this thing I call um call them sailor experiences. You know, they pretty much, you know, they're kind of like, you know, you're a sailor if. And uh, one of them is like after we do our our uh, our end of boot camp evolution, we call it battle stations. And prior to going to uh, prior to graduating, they take us into this room and we do this ball cap exchange ceremony because throughout boot camp we're wearing a ball cap that says recruit on it. Mm-hmm. We pass battle stations, signifying we pass boot camp, and we change that we exchange that recruit ball cap for one that says Navy, showing that we're in the Navy now. <laughs> we we passed. Yeah, and it's the first moment, like it's kind of like how you were saying, where the RDCs, our drill instructors, kind of treat you more like humans. They shake your hands, they tell you what a good job you did and, and whatnot. And that's a that was a pretty um, serious moment for me, especially because I was 17 years old, and this is like the first thing that I ever done uh, outside of high school. Was there any uh, moment like that for you? Or, or yeah, I, I, on, yeah, on graduation. I mean, it's still like after the Reaper when, you know, when they start giving you like that minimum amount of start giving you that minimum amount of respect, it's it, you still get treated like shit. But, you know, but you can tell like their drill instructors are starting to light up just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. But um, that whole when you get your Eagle Globe and Anchor at the end of boot camp, that's when and they shake your hand. That's when it like kind of finally hits you. Yeah, how did how was that event for you then? It was great. I got to go home. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? And I got but you know, I got my Eagle Globe and Anchor and it was you know, that kind of proud moment and I, I I did this, you know, it's not something that everybody does. And uh but the drill instructors, you don't really they don't re- nobody really hangs out and like talks to them or yeah anything like that i mean you might have like a five minute conversation with them but other than that everybody just kind of takes off and you know does their thing uh did your family come to your graduation 
Yeah, they came to family day because the day before graduation, he had family day. And I think, I can't remember if you get your Eagle Globe and Eagle on family day or on graduation day. I don't remember. It's been such a long time. But yeah. you uh, you get family day the day before. You do a big, I think it's like a three-mile like company run or something like that. Um, and uh, then you go back, you get dressed, you do a little ceremony, and then they really see to your families, hang out with them for the day. And then the next day you just come back, do your graduation ceremony, and then you take off, get, you know, whatever it was. I think it was like 10 days of, of leave or something like that. Go home. And- so what's next after, what's next after boot camp? Cause if you're, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Cause like in the Navy after we boot camp, then we start our drop training and that's, you know, I was a, uh, basically an electronics technician. That was like a year and a half of schooling for me and Josh. And it was, it was, it was like a college type environment is the best way I could describe it. What was it? Like for you well, after boot camp. So if you're infantry, you go to um, SOI, but you go to, but down at Pendleton for us at least, and you're down there for however long, you know, couple months or whatever it is for for your infantry training. You know, if you're a tow gunner or mortarman, I think you're there a little bit longer than just the standard rifleman. If you're non-infantry, then you go to MCT, it's Marine Combat Training. It's basically like a crammed down version of of uh, SOI, you know, kind of just your basic infantry tactics and everything. Nothing too like crazy or super in-depth. Uh, then after that, you go to your MOS school. So if you're artillery like I was, sorry about that. Um, if you're artillery like I was, you go out to um, uh, uh, Oklahoma at Fort Sill. You do your artillery training out there. I think you're, I think training is only about a month or two or something like that. Um, you know, if you're motor T your supply, you go to whatever base, you know, in the country that they do that schooling at, or, you know, um, then once you're done with that, you just go straight to your unit. Um, but, uh, I ended up going, I ended up getting to Fort Sill a week too late to get into the new class. So you just kind of hang out in the barracks, (laughs) sit around wait for your wait for your class to start so luckily i was able to get a couple of weeks of recruiters assistance to come home for christmas oh nice um <clears throat> then once we got back we started our started our training and then uh the day after my birthday in february i is when we flew out to uh to 29 palms and went to the fleet what was your uh job training experience like Pretty much freaking cold, cold, <laughs> <laughs> couple of blizzards while we were there, you know, and, uh, um, you know, I remember a couple of days out in the field when we actually shot, um, you know, you're in sleeping bags or from, you know, the civil war freaking, there's no tent, there are no heaters in those tents, you know? And so you got, 50 guys in the tent, you know, everybody's, it's cold as hell. I'm assuming just the condensation from everybody breathing in that tent and how cold it was outside just 
know, a bunch of frost just gathers up on the freaking on the top of the tent. And so when the wind blows and you get a bunch of that falling down onto you and then your sleeping bag's all wet and then you're even colder and it was not yeah, the I hate being cold. Yeah. Experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh real so. quick, do you have a favorite MRE? <sighs> Chicken noodle and beef stew. That that was probably the best. Just heat up the cheese and that thing, crunch up the crackers, throw it in there. You got a five-star meal, <laughs> relatively speaking. So, all right. So up to this point, you know, you went through your boot camp thing. You're, you're going through your job training, you know, up to this point. Also, you, you've been meeting like drill instructors, you know, your, your MOS instructors have all veteran Marine or been doing Marine stuff their entire life. What kinds of things were they telling you about like deployments, about joining the fleet, stuff like that? Basically, were you, were, were you looking forward to it? Like finally getting out of this, this well, uh, training system and getting out doing Marine shit. I was, and I wasn't just because, you know, they all told us once you get to the fleet, you're still going to be treated like shit. Cause you're the fucking, cause you're the boot, you know, and you're going to be doing all the crap work and the older guys are going to ride your ass and everything, which I completely understand. You know, I get it, but it, it was almost like, I don't want to say it was like going through boot camp again as a boot, but you know, it was kind of crappy that way getting treated, you know, the way that you did, but you know, with the hazing and everything like that. But again, I, I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. Um, you know, they always told us, you know, you're going to be on your deployments. You're going to be, you know, standing guard for, you know, eight hours. And then you're going to go on a working party. And then, you know, if you're like we were a provisional rifle company in Iraq, then you're going to go out on a patrol. So you're going to go, you know, 20 hours without sleeping or whatever it is. And then you're only going to get a few hours of sleep. And then you got to go right back to it. And it was, I mean, so it, I mean, there were aspects of it that were I wasn't really looking forward to, but at the same time, they also said, but just give it some time, get through your first deployment, and then you'll start being treated with, you know, some respect by the older guys and everything. And then some of that load will lighten up because, you know, you eventually you're going to become an NCO and you're going to be the one in charge and start delegating everything to the, to your, to your boots and all that stuff. So is that, um, Yeah. Sorry, I, uh, is that like? Do you feel like that's the correct way to go about things? Like, like just because you know the guys, the older guys, they did it. That happened to them. That they they feel the need to do that to the newer guys, and so on and so forth. I think there's, I think there's a place for it to a certain point. In that, if you got a guy that's just not doing what he's supposed to do, you know, falling asleep on post, uh, you know, not listening to what the NCOs are telling them or even the senior Lance corporals that have been on their deployments and they know what the hell they're doing and everything. You know, I think there's a, a place for it because to a certain point, just because it's, it's, it's combat, you need to be able to listen to orders and because yeah, yeah, yeah. otherwise you're going to get somebody else killed or whatever. Um, you need to have that discipline when you're falling asleep on post to be able to stay awake, to do what you have to do to stay awake. Um, at the same time though, 
as far as like physical hazing, like physical beatings and everything, I don't really see the point in it. Um, but making sure your guys are locked in on point and everything, I, I understand where certain things come into play and why it's, it might be somewhat necessary. That being said, I think a lot of guys lacked certain leadership aspects in that, yo, this is like, it was just like, do this. And then I'm screaming, yell at you. Uh, but then I think it should be kind of guys should kind of mentor their younger guys. I'm like, Hey, look, this is why I did what I did because you screwed up. And yeah. but in general, it was just like, no, you pissed me off. You did this, get the, you know, go over here and do that. Um, without coming back to the situation afterwards and yo, this is why I did this. Yeah. And then I get your saying what, what you're saying. And like, personally, like, I feel like we share the same like mentality when it comes to that, because like, uh, like I understand all, like all the hazing traditions and this and that, like, I get it. But like me personally, like, I don't like to be touched. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I, and also like, yeah, like, just tell me to do something and I'll do it. I don't need, and like, I'm not that guy that needs to be disciplined in a way that to get, you know? So, like, I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, what, what was I going to say? Um, I don't know. I forget what I was going to say. Just keep going. I'll come back to it. <laughs> so, um, are you able to pick, like, after your job training and everything, are you able to pick your duty station or it, is that just wherever the Marine Corps wants you, that's where you're going? You can request it, but it's not going to be a guarantee that you're going to get it. Yeah. Um, word around town when we were at in Oklahoma was um, everybody picked their, you know, requested their duty station and everything. But word around town was one of our guys. He didn't request mass and follow the chain of command and he went straight to the schools um i forget if he was a, a first sergeant or, or sergeant major for the school went straight to him without talking to any of the you know following the chain of command and requested directly to be sent to wherever he wanted to be sent and so most of us in the class in our class didn't get what we wanted for a duty station and word was was because he did that so they essentially decided to screw with the rest of us and kind of not give us the duty stations that we wanted <laughs> i don't know how true that is but that was a word around town you know how it goes yeah yeah where where did you end up going i went to 29 palms okay and uh so you get there how was that like <laughs> well the first week we got there our unit, our battery was out in the field, so we didn't really see any of our guys. We were being essentially watched over for by the um, – there was a couple of NCOs from headquarters uh, battery, and they were pretty chill. They were cool. They were just like, yo, like, we're getting out in a few months. Like, we're going to do what we have to do as far as paperwork goes and all that stuff, and then you guys go off and do whatever you want to do. When they – when our battery got back that week, though, that's when all the all the crap started. And um, being stationed out there was kind of just 
not fun just because, you know, it's hotter than hell or it's colder than hell during the winter. And, um, like right across the street from our barracks was Lake Bandini, which is essentially the, the sewage lake. Yeah. So you should wake up every morning smelling that, you know, <laughs> it, it, and being, being 311, the rest of the, the rest of the regiment is down in Pendleton. So we're the only artillery battalion in the entire Marine Corps that's out there. And everybody goes to 21 Palms to train. So we were constantly just in the field, which I, it was good as far as we were really well trained. Yeah. But just having to be out in the field constantly just kind of took a toll after a while. I got you. What year was this? Oh, uh, 07. 07. And um, can you just take us through like what a typical workday was like? I mean, if we were, if we were at Mainside and we weren't in the field, yeah, um, go out, clean the freaking howitzers, <laughs> you know, do maintenance, that kind of stuff. Next day, be up at the armory, cleaning weapons, and then, you know, Wednesday it'd be, you know, just little classes, just to essentially fill the time. And Thursday, it's back to cleaning the howitzers. And it's like, yo, we just cleaned them two days ago. What's the point? Same thing with the armory. It just got really repetitive after a while. There'd be times where we'd go do, like, uh, we'd take the the howitzers across the street out into the dry lake bed and, you know, practice, you know, stuff out there without actually live firing. Um, We'd do that maybe once a week, you know, something like that. But it just got really repetitive and really old, really quick, especially when, you know, go clean the guns again. Well, why? We just cleaned the hell out of them the other day. You know, it, it's like, if you guys are just trying to find stuff to fill the time, like, yeah, I don't really know what to say at that point because I don't, I'm not really sure what else we could have done aside from, you know, going out into the dry lake bed and doing like the dry, the, like the dry missions and everything like that. But just, going back out to the gun park to the armory to do the same thing we did two days ago. It just got really old really quick. And it's, it, man, I have a, a huge issue with that because like, like the way I see things is like, we're eventually going to go on deployment and you're going to have us for 24 hours a day. You know, I get, you know, training and stuff to, you know, keep us nimble and ready. But like, if you're overworked, that's going to be a detriment into going into deployments, you know? So like when you're at stateside, you know, let us have that family time. Let us have that, that off time to like re-energize, recuperate so that when we finally do get deployed, you know, we're ready to go. Yeah. And I think that, I think that was like another aspect of it was when, you know, it's a Friday or even just a regular day, but just, for, you know, let's just say it was a Friday. Okay, guys, we, you know, we got all everything clean. Everything's good to go for the weekend. You know, we can get out of here by noon. Okay, cool. You knew it was never going to happen yeah. because every Friday it would be, well, the CO is not ready yet. So go back over to the armory and pull weapons out again for another hour or two. Like what, what the hell is the point? Like, and then it comes around finally at like four or five o'clock and, and they're finally like, okay, now we can leave and go home. Like we've been sitting around doing nothing for the last freaking four hours. Like it, it, it was kind of demoralizing at that point because it's just like, 
the promises of constantly, uh, yeah. you know, this is going to happen. Oh, no, no, this came up. So now we got to go do this. Or you, know, you guys are going to get off at this time. It's Friday. Oh, no, wait. Now nah, the CEO is not ready or whatever the hell the excuse was. So just sit around, you know, we'll get out of here in an hour. And then that hour came around. No, no, he's not ready. Yet. Whatever it is. Like, yeah. Come on. Like, just fucking release us at this point. Or you know, let know, us go like, back and let's go back and hang out in the barracks until the CEO is ready. Yeah. Like, you know, do whatever we're going to do in the barracks. And then, and then have him come over and give us our safety brief and release us for the weekend. But it never happened that way. Um. What were uh, deployment talks like as you're gearing up? You knew, you knew inevitably that deployment was coming. What were the talks like prior to that? The talks or thoughts? Both. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, for Iraq, we got deployed as a provisional rifle company. So at a certain point, a couple months before we deployed, we stopped even shooting and going out and you know shooting artillery. It was a lot of you know, uh, a lot of uh, small arms ranges, like that type of stuff, getting ready for that. A lot of uh, practicing of like infantry tactics and everything. Um, so I was relatively kind of excited, scared at the same time. You know, yeah. I don't really know anybody who, I think most guys that say that they weren't scared are full of shit. Yeah. You know, there's there's a certain level of fear, even if one guy might not be as scared as somebody else, but there's always going to be a certain level of fear. Um, but at the same time, I was really excited to just get out there and see what it was like. You know, I know my family was really scared. Hell yeah. Um, you know, it was a lot of you know, we're going to war, you know, you guys need to get your mindset right. You guys need to do what you need to do to get yourself ready. You know, um, I, I, the one time that I think I really got scared was when, um, we originally got put into our, our squads that were going to be the, you know, for our infantry squads. And, my squad leader was like, shit. Uh, you know, he, cause half the battery was going to be put into, uh, like going out and doing patrols. And then the half, the other battery was going to go, uh, to a different place and just pull guard duty the whole time. Um, I got put in the half that was going to be doing the provisional rifle company stuff. And my squad leader who had been to Iraq before was like, shit this is gonna suck and i think that's when it kind of finally hit me and i was like well if he says this is gonna suck then maybe i should be more scared than what i am <laughs> um or more worried than what yeah. i am but that's pretty much what it, it all it was was just you know the higher-ups just constantly reminding us to do what we need to do to get our mindsets ready for this fall back remember your training stuff like yeah, that. yeah yeah listen to your ncos all that kind of crap and everything. uh what what year did you deploy uh october of 07 and uh yeah so can you just talk to me like 
just how do you mentally prepare for like a boots on the ground deployment? Like, I think just keeping all that kind of stuff that you just said in mind, you know, the whole remember your training, listen yeah. to your NCOs and everything. And then at the time, I think a lot of guys have that mindset at that age because of testosterone or, you know, brainwashing or whatever you want to, you know, call it. A lot of guys almost have a mindset of, I don't know, maybe invincibility, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I'm going to go, but I'll be fine type of thing. You know, that, um, that was kind of where my head was, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to go on this deployment. I'll come back. And I, I just really wasn't that worried about it, to be honest. You know, I'm like I said, there was a little bit of fear, but it wasn't crippling fear or anything like that. Yeah. So like, I've heard that, like, you know, when you're doing those boots on the ground deployments that like, you, you kind of have to find humor in death and, and the thought of dying and stuff like that, just to kind of help you get through the, the day. Is, is that generally true? I would say so. Um, I think the other thing that helped me a lot was, like I said, I, originally I wanted to go infantry. Yeah. So I think once I found out that we were going to be doing that kind of stuff, uh, I kind of felt like, okay, cool. Like this is what I really wanted to do in the first place. Um, but yeah, you, I think you do have to kind of find that. I think you really do have to kind of use humor and everything in order to kind of deal with the process of being out there and possibly getting blown up and, you know, either losing a limb or dying or getting shot or whatever it is. Um, there was a lot of that really dark, fucked up kind of sense of humor about everything. So, I, I would I would say that that's pretty that that that's pretty true. Um, how how was you know obviously you know you're with your unit on stateside. You become good friends with all the Marines. How does that relationship change while you're on deployment? I'm, I'm assuming like you get well, you want to fight half of your friends because you're <laughs> just annoyed having to live with each other for you know seven months at a time. You know, well, again, there's a lot of testosterone in that in that arena, and you get annoyed with people, and you just come to the point where you want to fight guys. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know there were fights that broke out, but you know, as soon as the fight's over, you hug it out and you go back to living your, you know, living your life and doing what you need to do. Um, but so, I mean, you're, you're still pretty much brothers at the end of the day. It just brothers fight, you know, it happens, especially when you're in that environment, that kind of stress, that kind of living with somebody for 24 seven. And there were guys that I really didn't like, but I just was the type of person that I'm just going to stay away from this motherfucker. I'm not going to interact with him. I don't like him. He knows it. I know it. Just, I, you know, I know he doesn't like me. So I'm just going to keep my fucking distance. I'm not going to deal with him. I don't want to talk to him. But at the end of the day, if something happened to him, yeah, I'd still risk my life for him to try yeah. to save him if something happened. Because you're in it together at that point. Um. But, when, when you're such a, in like a hostile environment, 
with all these threats around? Like, how do you like decompress? What do you do on your off time to take your mind off of things? Well, that are, <laughs> there was a lot of, uh, there were a lot of pornographic magazines okay. at that place. So, uh, I think you get where I'm going with this. Gotcha. There was a lot of that. Uh, you know, playing cards, you know, hanging out in the smoke pit with everybody, just bullshitting that kind of stuff. That was pretty much, I think that was pretty much the only way to decompress. Yeah. You know, it's not like, you know, maybe watching a movie, you know, on your iPod, that kind of stuff. But, you know, some guys, sometimes some guys we get a game of football going. But that was generally shut down really quick just because of, you know, the whole. You're not supposed to be standing in a group together for very long because of, you know, mortar, you know, mortar threat. If one comes in, you guys are standing in a group. It's going to take everybody out, that type of thing. So the sports thing kind of got shut down really quickly. But then guys would still just, you know, go outside and play catch or do like that kind of stuff or whatever. Um, there was a little gym at the base, so I know guys, so we would go in there and lift weights for a little while, but, um, I mean, there's not really much else you can really do out there to decompress. <laughs> I, can only, I can only imagine how, how fast can you don a mop suit? Well, I don't think we ever practiced with a mop suit. No? I don't think so because there wasn't. It wasn't really a threat of chemical weapons at 2007. that point. Yeah, there wasn't really a threat of chemical okay. weapons at that point. So I don't really think, I mean, we practiced with the gas masks, but I don't recall ever even receiving a mop suit. We might have okay. practiced with it when we, like, before we left. Yeah. But I don't, I don't even think we had one with us. Um, did you, like... In all your experience with the Marine Corps, like for R and R, whatever, did you by chance happen to like visit anywhere cool outside of the United States for fun? No, <laughs> um, nice. no. I mean, we went from here to, and we flew into Maine for you know to refuel the plane. Uh, we were in the airport for an, an hour, then we got back on, went to Germany to the airport so the plane could refuel. We were there for, again, an hour, got back on the plane, and then flew into Kuwait on base. Um, you can't leave the freaking base. You can't really do anything, so I didn't get to go anywhere cool. And then Afghanistan was pretty much the same thing. Um, I don't really generally like to talk about, like, combat experience just because, you know, it's out of my realm and also, like, it's, it's some, at times it feels exploitative, but is there anything about deployments that stood out to you? Uh, well, for Iraq, we didn't, we didn't even see any combat until we went to Rupa at the end of the, the last part of the deployment. Um, and even then for us, it was very minimal. Um, we got, we took a couple of, I don't even think, I think it was like maybe one or two um, indirect fire attacks. Um, 
we got into one firefight that I didn't even get to participate in. Um, it was at the base. They hit us at the base, but, um, I was down inside. It, it was at a Iraqi police station. I think it was like an old British fort from like way back in the day. Um, but it was very short, maybe a couple of minutes at the most. And, uh, I wasn't up on the wall or in, or in the guard post or anything. By the time I got there, everything had died down. Uh, you know, we would take pot shots out on patrol here and there. Uh, there were some IEDs, but they were always found and got cleared. So nobody got hit out there. Afghanistan was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, it wasn't nearly as much combat as other guys had seen. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I got to be thankful that we didn't lose anybody, that Hell yeah. we had some guys get sent home, you know, for injuries. But, it, again, it wasn't nearly as bad as, you know, say the guys that are up in Corongo Valley back then and everything like that other parts of the country that we got pretty lucky. So, uh, um, but the one thing that did stand out to me was that, uh, that rocket attack at the base, buddy and I almost got hit by that rocket, uh, where we were standing, it landed right by us, but our squad leader had called us to go do something like maybe a minute before that rocket came in. So I kind of feel like he saved us. Hell yeah. At least from getting, you know, shrapnel or something like that. Maybe not being killed, but definitely called us away from that area right before it came in. I think that that kind of close call, I guess you could call it, yeah, was uh, definitely eye-opening. But it really didn't hit nothing, nothing. All that kind of stuff didn't really hit me until I got back here going from that mindset of constantly being on guard, you know, constantly well, you're, having... you're, you're always redlining, you know, you're always at that red line when you're on deployment, especially when you're in a combat zone or, or BOG, <laughs> you're on, you're always like at that red line and then you come back home and you need to figure out how to throttle back. And, and it's, it's really hard to shut that off because, you know, Marine Corps doesn't, I, maybe in the military in general, I think maybe I'm wrong, but at least in the Marine Corps, they don't really teach you how to turn that off. It's just, all right, you're getting out. You're going to a week of taps and steps where they just bring in a bunch of representatives from different schools and colleges and everything like that. To talk to you about, you know, trying to, what are you going to do when you get out? But they don't teach you how to turn that other part of it off. Like so. even to this day, and I wasn't even like, I wasn't even deployed on um, Bhutan grounds type, but even to this day, like I get uneasy when I see like bags unattended at a, like a grocery store and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I was like that for a long time. Uh, I used to hate driving. I, 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 I would freak out whenever I would see debris on the road or whatever, sometimes a lot of times and to the point that I would break down crying and I never really understood why. Like I would call my mom and she would have to calm me down. And then, uh, 
thankfully I did something that's relatively unorthodox to try to fix that. And it, it worked. And, and I, I don't really freak out about that kind of stuff anymore. Well, can I ask, what was that unorthodox? I, uh, I ended up trying uh, MDMA. Okay. My ex at the time, or my girlfriend at the time, she, it was kind of taking a toll on the relationship. And she had told me that uh, it was being used in clinical trials to try to treat PTSD and even, or even just regular depression and anxiety issues in, in, in civilians. Uh, and it was having a really good success rate. And I had never been one to do drugs. I think I smoked weed for like six months after I got out, but that was it. Uh, and so I was always, I was very hesitant about trying it. Yeah. But I trusted her, especially because she used to be like a little raver chick back in the day. So I trusted <laughs> that she knew what she was doing. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> and I did that. And it really helped. I, I didn't even really notice it for the first month or so, but then she pointed it out after a month that like, I don't freak out anymore. I'm not as on edge as I was. I wasn't, the thing that I did notice was I wasn't having panic attacks all the time anymore. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I ended up trying mushrooms. Okay. And I feel like I worked out a lot of things when I did that too. Uh, I feel like that really helped. Is that, is that like, I, I've heard about this, but I never looked into it, but is that pretty much, you're just having like internal conversations with yourself. Is that pretty much what's going on or with the mushrooms? Yeah. Or MDMA. Like, I'm yeah. Not... Well, well the MDMA, I don't know. I like from what I've read, they think that what it does is it, it rewires your brain. Uh, so a couple years before that, when I went to the VA, because I've been in, in and out of the VA the, like, the entire time. And they had wanted to put me on antidepressants and SSRIs and all that other. I think it's SSRIs, what, what they're called. But um, they had been wanting to put me on all that. And I had always refused because I didn't. I had heard just too many bad things about it. I, there was a veterans group over here that I used to hang out with. Uh, some of the guys were on, S, on, on those antidepressants and everything. And they would say, like, if they didn't take it for a day or two, then they were just in a really bad way. And so I was always kind of parent. Geez, hold on. Let me turn this off. Dude. I apologize. Um, that they were in a really bad way. Uh, so I never really wanted to get on those. And the way that the nurse practitioner explained it to me was, um, I think she's, it was something along the lines of once you've been in that, depressed mind state for so long like chronically depressed mm -hmm. i forget if it's your brain just kind of stops producing serotonin or the serotonin receptors in your brain just kind of stop working or whatever it was um and again from what i've read is um from what i understand is that they think that it kind of, that the mdma kind of rewires your brain in that aspect and kind of gets that gets that going again mm, interesting from what i understand and so with the mdma i was just very happy because you know that's what it does it just makes you very relaxed and, and, and just 
feeling euphoric and I didn't even do it again after that for six months or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those six months I was still great. I was still happy. Like I never, I don't remember the last time I just felt happy for no reason. Hmm. Um, with the mushrooms, that's a whole different animal. <laughs> it's uh it's hit or miss. You either have a great trip on it or you have a really bad trip where you just kind of work stuff out in your mind. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, I think that's pretty much been my experience with it is it, you can, I kind of just had that experience. I let a lot of things out and with the people that I was with when I did it and it kind of just made me see things in a different light, I guess is the best way I can describe it. Hey Josh, do you have any opinions on this stuff? I think that's pretty cool. There's a there's a couple of documentaries I think that are out there right now that are have have looked at that research on the MDMA and um, yeah, that's that's really it's more of the psych um, I guess not psychedelics, but there there's a whole group of drugs that uh, people do a lot of research on that they're they're finding out that really works with depression and PTSD and uh, all that. So it's, it's really interesting. You can do, I could, we could do a simple Google search. I've seen some <laughs> stuff out there, but it is I definitely like encourage people to look into it though. It's really cool. It's a really cool. I mean, some of these people are making these like combinations in these little labs in the middle of the woods there's really smart, ingenious human beings. Very a lot of chemists. Very more chem- chemists than anything else. But so it was a. I feel like it helped me out a lot. With that. That's yeah, I believe so. That's awesome. I, I believe it too. All right, pardon the interruption, but Matt and I just wanted to cut in with a, a little PSA. Go ahead, Matt. I basically just wanted to say that, like, I know what I said at the end of the podcast about, uh, you know, staying away from the hard stuff and everything. And I wholly heartedly believe that um, as far as when I went ahead and tried the MDMA and the mushrooms and everything like that, that was a personal choice for me. I'm not encouraging anybody to go out there and just jump straight to that or to encourage any like drug use. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to go out and seek as much help as you possibly can and if you want to go down that route to go ahead and try to get into one of those clinical trials that they're doing with the mdma or the mushrooms or whatever it is instead of just jumping right into it and you know when i did it like i said it was with people that i trusted the stuff had been tested because there's so much shit out there that's laced with fentanyl or whatever the hell is out there and killing people and everything and i I trusted it. It was tested by the friends that I got it from. It was in a controlled environment. I've never done it outside of the house and partied with it or anything. It was a handful of times and it was strictly for that reason. So I just wanted to say that about it. And uh, just to piggyback off of that, uh, over here at Average G.I. Joe, we encourage everybody to follow your state and local laws. Um, seek out medical doctors. Don't take advice. Don't take medical advice from us. Don't take financial advice from us uh, because we don't, we're not offering that. Um, Exactly. uh, Back, back to the show. (laughs) 
I just want to bring it back to uh, really quickly on your deployments and any of your deployments. Were you able to shoot the howitzer? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that, for like a year and a half. That's all I did. I mean, I, I was the one that pulled the freaking lanyard and fired it. And, um, there's different positions on the howitzer. You yeah. know, there's the gunner, a gunner, you know, the guys that run the powder and run the rounds or whatever. For a while there, I was just shooting the damn thing. Were there any, like, usually I like to talk about, uh, like, my warfare pin. That was, like, as, like, one of the the awards that I received that I, I've, I was, I appreciate the most. But are there any, like, awards or, or, or things that you're particularly proud of? I mean, not really. I, I feel like they, I feel like nowadays awards are just passed out way too easily. You know, you get an award for, I mean, hell yeah, I think you can get an award for helping out on like recruiter's assistance if you get enough, like <laughs> if you get a certain amount of guys, I think, if I remember correctly, you know, I, I think it's just passed out way too much. You know, it, I mean, I have, you know, my, Global War on Terrorism ribbon, yeah, my yeah. freaking Firewatch ribbon, you know, the one that you get for joining in a time of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have my combat action ribbon, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there's not, it's, there's nothing that I really did that I'm like, okay, this is what I'm super freaking gotcha. proud of. So, I mean, I mean, we got a, a ribbon for in Afghanistan or a medal in Afghanistan, a NATO ribbon for yeah. working with NATO units. And it's like, okay, like, why? Why, why does that deserve a freaking medal? <laughs> I don't get it. I got but, you. Yeah. Uh, what What were some of the bigger differences between Afghanistan and Iraq? Um, I think where we were, at least in Afghanistan, it was people. I don't know. I guess just from again, from my own personal experience, from where I was, maybe yeah. it's different in different parts of Iraq or whatever. But we were in the cities in Iraq. You know, it, it, it seemed mildly more developed. I guess you could say, as far as like the housing and everything goes, because Afghanistan, it's a lot of mud huts and and all that mud houses and all that kind of stuff. Um, we definitely did see more combat over there than we did in, in Iraq, but I think it was more more of the timing that we were in Iraq. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that was when it started to cool down a bit uh, because I know when we were first there, we were, my squad and another squad, we were basically in charge of keeping this, uh, uh, this road clear. And it was a military access only road that went from the main highway up to the Haditha Dam. Um, and we didn't hit any IEDs when we were on that road, but reports from when, before we left were that the unit before us was getting, had gotten hit pretty hard with IEDs on that road. So that's why I say, I think like when we got there, things had started to kind of cool down a bit. Um, Afghanistan was definitely still popping while we were there. Mm -hmm. um, they definitely had, more firepower i guess you could say than what we encountered in iraq yeah um they definitely seem more aggressive than what we experienced over in iraq again um i think those were kind of the biggest differences when we were there the other thing was when we went we 
just rolled up on some farmer's land and just started building a damn base. Like we had nothing there for months, you know, sleeping in a hole, no clean clothes, middle of summer. So I didn't shower or anything like that for two months. Iraq, we had showers. We eventually got some showers in Afghanistan after that, like at like the five month mark or so, four or five months. Crazy. But there was a while there where it was just, basic living conditions you know one or two meals a day um so i I think those are probably the biggest differences between the two roughly how long were your deployments seven months okay and at the seven months when you're returning home is that was that something you're looking forward to or you're like get me out of here or no for sure yeah yeah get back to civilization finally uh, I think Afghanistan was a harder deployment just because they had talked up such a big game. Like, yo, don't expect everybody to come back. It's a hell of a lot more. There's a lot more crap going on over there than there was when we were in Iraq. So I think that was a, after being in Iraq and experiencing the little bit of combat that we did yeah, and having that whole just experience in general, I think Afghanistan kind of, I was a lot more worried about going to Afghanistan than I was Iraq. Like I wasn't excited at all to go to Afghanistan. But, but as far as like preparation and, and, you know, you got one deployment under your belt where you, did you feel like more prepared, even though the, the situation and landscape was different, was your like mentality on deployments? Like it was easier to go. Yes and no, just because we, in Iraq, we trained for Iraq. We trained as mostly as a provisional rifle company. Mm-hmm. We didn't even shoot artillery when we were there. I think we shot some illumination rounds, but that was about it. Um, but then Afghanistan. I think what bothered me particularly about that was maybe like three weeks before we deployed, we got a, a boot drop of like fifteen guys or whatever, something like that, and they had just their basic MCT training. Yeah, and so like we had done some uh a little bit of inf- infantry preparation for afghanistan but even then it wasn't as much as we did for iraq and then having these guys come in who had absolutely like the bare minimum amount of training it, it kind of threw me off a little bit and kind of made me like shit we got to get these guys trained up as much as possible so i think that's what really worried me about that deployment were you at uh nco level at any of this time yeah i picked up corporal about a month before we deployed to afghanistan um our our your ncos on that first deployment and then how, how are you as an nco yourself for the most part or for for, for how were the ncos in iraq deployment yeah or yeah, yeah, yeah. They, right. for the most part they were good guys a lot of them had been deployed already they knew what was up and everything it was mostly our chain of command like the higher ups the officers that were very like yeah i don't know about you right now all um, the JOs even, and stuff yeah even um one of our uh our battery gunny that was his first combat deployment yeah and so like i like there were certain things that pissed me off like even like i remember there was a shootout i think it was between the iraqi police and and the the city mayor's um 
bodyguards or something like that. And we didn't know what was going on. We just heard a bunch of gunfire. So they sent us out there. And as we're walking by, our gunny had come from the main fob right outside the city. Come do his little inspection tech or whatever. Or like somebody made a comment. Hey, gunny, you coming with us? He's like, hell no. It's like, dude, come on, bro. Like, like you're a fucking Marine. Like if you're not going to go, you're not going to go. I get it. You're freaking battery gunny. But at the same time, you ain't got to give a fucking response like that. Like be a little more fucking like encouraging, I guess you could say, you know, yeah. instead of being like sounding like a scared little, you know, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, for me, for me as an NCO, when I was in Afghanistan, it was, I, I, I know it's a, sh- it's a bad thing to say, <laughs> but I think at that point I was kind of in like a, an effort kind of mode men- mentally, not like I'm going to leave my guys hang- like hanging or anything like, or leaving the dry or anything, but I was just kind of like over the whole gotcha. yeah. thing at that point. Um, you know, I did what I needed to do. You know, we trained them up like we were supposed to train them up as much as we possibly could. You know, I did what I could to have my guys, you know, have their backs and make them feel as secure, I guess, or as comfortable with the, the whole situation as possible. Um, I wasn't one of those dickhead NCOs. Um, you know, if my guys had an issue or if they screwed up or something like that, it's like, yo, go fix it. You know, I wasn't trying to scream and yell at anybody or anything like that. I just, I was over it at that point. Um, it was, I guess you could say I was just kind of chill about everything. You know, I took everything serious, of course, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the only time I really yelled at somebody was, uh, I think it was like the last two months, I got put as a COG, Corporal of the Guard. So, and I caught two of my guys knocked out up on their post. I think that was the only time that I really went off and pulled the whole, like, I'm going to treat you like shit for a little bit type of thing. Um, but again, I feel like that was for a reason. Yeah. They're on post. It's the middle of the night. Definitely. You guys fucking fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Not even just one guy and the other guy watches. Like- both of them. They were on the same <laughs> post and they just both knocked out. Um, um I want to talk about uh transitioning out of the military. And um uh, I want to start with this. Like, was your original intention to do like your four and get out or whatever your your first enlistment, or were you gonna were you going to see what it was like and then make a decision? And then what, what was your original goal? I wanted to see what it was. I, 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 it was a cross between, I think I want to make this a career and, but let me see what it's like. But yeah. then the longer and longer I was in, the more I was like, hell no. Like, was, I, I can't do this the rest of my life. Was um, it like one specific thing or is it just a series of things? Or I think it was just a series of things. I mean, some of our, you know, some of our officers, they were good guys, but then there were some that were just like, I just can't deal with this guy. Like, and if this is any indication of, you know, how it's going to be, I, I just can't do it anymore. And then the broken promises, you know, freaking all that kind of crap just built up after a while. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, I just couldn't wait to get out at that point. So... So whatever happened, happened. You decide that you're getting out of the of the military, the Marines. Uh, 
it's probably sounds stupid, but like, did you feel like the Marines were the Marine Corps treated you different once you came to that decision? Like, like in the Navy, like we got to like, we get a lot of like, what are you doing for us type of mentality. And once you make your intentions known that, that you're getting out, that you're not going to be an asset to the Navy. They kind of just like, they treat you like straight up shit. It seems like. I I, I don't, I never really got that feeling. It, okay. it was more just like the, whatever, whoever was in charge of like, you know, recruit, like, try to get guys like retention or whatever, you know, yeah. like, it, like once he told me, Hey, you know, do you want to reenlist? Like, we want you to reenlist. And I was like, no, like I, I don't really feel like I got treated any different after that. It was still just the same crap. At, at oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I think, I, like, I think the, the only thing that I felt like what the hell about was right before I was trying to get out, I, I did try to go visit some colleges and everything and they wouldn't give me time off. So I, I don't know if that was just because they were trying to be dicks like you're talking about, or I, I don't know what it was, but they wouldn't give me that time. So I guess that's the closest thing that I can say as far as being treated different. But again, I don't know if that was just to piss me off or, or what. I, I can't speak for that. And how was your actual transition? Like, did you have a plan in place? How were you mentally prepared for it? And, because you knew this was going to be something you, you were going to do. The only plan I had was just to go to college Yeah, and start doing, you know, start doing that whole thing. And that didn't work out. I absolutely hated it. So there was a while there where I was just kind of on a downward spiral and didn't really know what to do with my life and everything. I was just kind of going to school at that point, just for the paycheck from the GI bill. Yeah. Um, so. I struggled with that for a while, but when I was getting out, that was, I had the plan, but then once I got to that plan, I just, I couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand being in school. And again, I think not having any guidance as, how, as to how to go from not even in like a combat mindset, but just from mindset of the military in general. Yeah. I didn't know how to get out of that. You know, I, that lack of structure and everything, and essentially being free for the first time in my life because I went to boot camp a month after I graduate and graduated, going from you know living under my parents' rules to living under the military's rules, and now I'm finally able to do make my own decisions and everything. I didn't really know how to do that. I, I was very like that transition was very hard. Yeah, I got a lot of like uh from the interviews that I do, I got a lot of like, you know, you're you're still a kid while you're in the military and some of some of them don't have to grow up until they get out. And that's some of them that's like 25 years later and they realize, Oh, now, now I have to do like actual adult stuff because the military is not taking care of me. Not, they're not providing the three meals a day and stuff like that. Health insurance, yeah, 100%, stuff like 100% that. agree. Um, is there anything the Marine Corps could have done to help you transit, make your transition easier? Again, just some type of training, you know, whether it be yeah. with, and it doesn't even have to be like a one-on-one -on -one thing, you know, just as like, you know, guys that are getting out, get, get like a, I don't know, like a, a counselor or social worker, so, you know, something like that. I don't know what exactly, you know, the person would be, but something like along that, those lines, maybe even bring in 
other vets that have been out for, you know, a long time that we can relate to, to come in and be like, all right, this is where you guys need to get your mindset at. This is what it's going to be like. This is what worked for me to transition when I got out instead of just basically throwing you to the wolves, essentially. Yeah. Cause yeah, I felt very lost for sure. Very, very lost. And, and, and same with me, I did 10 years and, and when I, you know, I got out unexpectedly, but man, yeah, it's for real. You're just out there on your alone, figuring stuff out. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you don't really have anybody that you can relate to when you get out. None of your family understands. Nope. You know, nobody can tell you what to do. You're kind of on your own unless you have, like, I had a couple of buddies that lived in the general area that I was in Iraq and Afghanistan with. And, you know, I had them, but at the same time, they were, you know, doing their own thing yeah. now. And it's not like we got to hang out all that much. And not having that camaraderie and that support from, anybody else's kind of it right. just made it harder i guess and then i'll yeah. oh, go ahead josh i think the the focus on mental health you know they you learn some really awesome skills in the military you work good work ethic and getting up early and taking care of business and doing things but it's kind of like he was saying it, it they need to teach us how to be able to turn that off it's hard it was I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I mean, I probably lost a marriage over it just because I was not able to turn that. I couldn't turn it off. I don't know why. I went, I think because I went from one military to the military to another demanding job. I think the mental health is is definitely lacking. For sure. There needs to be some, definitely some one-on-one. I mean, I think there needs to be some long-term when you're out, they need to check on you, check up on you. I mean, I mean, maybe it's every 30 days or so, especially when you're right out there, like you said, alone on your own, not sure on what's going on, but sorry. I didn't mean to take over the, no, you're fine. No, that's no, cool. I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, hell, I still have, try, I, even to this day, I still have trouble turning it off with my stepson, for instance, you know, he, he's six, he's a kid. I get it. You know what I mean? But I'm still like, no, you need to listen to what I'm telling you right now. You need to do it the first time I ask. And my, my girl's like, yo, like he's a kid, you know, he's six years old. I, 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 I try to remember that, but there's still times when I'm just like, no, All right. you need to listen. This is not acceptable. And in my mind, I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I'm just trying to be like, yo, this is how it is in the real world. I'm trying to help. <laughs> yeah prepare you for when you get older and everything, trying to instill that discipline and everything. I just got to constantly keep reminding myself like she does, like he's a kid and like he's, he's going to fuck up and make mistakes and everything. Um, so there are aspects that I still have trouble with that too. I'm turning that off sometimes. And then <clears throat> I also want to bring up like, um, like when I got out, I tried doing the whole college thing too. And that shit did not work out. Like it, it's just not meant for me. And I also like to, so I like to bring out that trade schools, trade schools are like overlooked and like super beneficial. So like if you're in the military and you're getting out, or even if you're just graduating high school and, and college is your thing, and maybe the military is not, it's definitely not for everybody. Like look into trade schools. Cause you know, you, you'll get some good jobs, good paying jobs coming out of trade schools yeah for sure i had a couple of buddies that ended up doing that um that oil rigging uh 
thing uh, that they had. They had like the oil riggers come out and try to recruit guys for that. And a couple of my buddies did that. But I don't really, mostly what I remember is colleges coming in and uh, even police like LAPD coming in. Um, what was it? Le Cordon Bleu, the cooking school. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I don't really remember any like mechanics, like mechanical schools yeah. coming in or what I'm doing now with the plumbers union, you know, they have a helmets to hard hats program. Nice. Uh, but I don't even remember them coming out and, and, and doing any of that stuff and everything. And I didn't even know about it. So, you know, it took me yeah. forever to, to figure out that. And now I'm doing that. It's, it's good. I like it. It's still five years of school, but it's, you know, it's after fantastic. after you go to work, after you've been in the field doing what you're doing and everything, and that's because that's how I learned. That's why I struggled with college because I can't sit there and read a freaking textbook, a thirty nope. page chapter in a textbook, and retain any of that. No, nope. <laughs> I can't do it. I got to be on the job, is like doing practical app. That's how I learned, and I think that's why I struggled with college so much. Yeah, and or like writing a three page paper on your feelings about you know some stupid. you know, his history lesson. And when you're just trying to get like your electronics degree or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or an English, English class when it's like, okay, read this little short story. Now give me your translation. Okay. Well, this is my translation. It's a very literal translation. Yeah. I'm a very literal person. And then professor looks at you like you're freaking dumb because you don't understand the meaning behind it. And it's like, oh, okay, well, thanks for fucking explaining it to me <laughs> and making me look stupid, feel stupid. So, um, let me uh let me flip it on you and give you the this the opportunity now like you got marines that are getting ready to transition out of the military or is there any advice that you could offer them i know this is this is like telling water not to be wet yeah but <laughs> stay away from the alcohol and, and the substances because that's what I turned to when I, when I got out and I, there was a while there where I was just drinking all the time. I was partying all the time. The roommates I lived with, you know, it, I never, like I said, I never got into the hard stuff, but you know, they were all into that, but we would all, and so we would always go party and everything. It was pretty much like a Jersey shore house for, for a while in college when I was, when I was living with them. A couple of guys lived with us, a couple of girls, and there was all kinds of crap going on in there and just, stay away from that shit Chaos. and yeah. know that there's other options besides going to college. Like I said, with the plumbers union, with the electricians union, all these different freaking, not even, even if you don't want to go union, there's always these other trades that you can do and everything. If that's not, if college is not your cup of tea and, and don't be afraid to seek help for the longest time. I didn't want to go talk to a counselor. I didn't want to admit that I had issues or anything like that. And I, finally did and things started getting better after a certain while even though i felt like when i did go see counselors at the va and everything i didn't really feel like that helped much just because you know these are college kids themselves that have never served so they don't understand what the hell we're going through but even just to reach out to other vet organizations and everything you know guys that you can have that camaraderie with that are going to bring you out of the whatever funk that you're in but especially again, try to stay away from the alcohol and everything as much as possible. It just it just destroys you. I mean, yeah, I still drink sometimes. I'm not yeah, a yeah, freaking yeah, saint. Yeah. <laughs> I like to have a drink. I like whiskey. I like to have a, you know drinks here and there. But just 
stay away from that hardcore lifestyle. It's the I, I know it's easy to turn to when you're in that mindset and everything, when you're having those struggles, but it's just not worth it at the end of the day. I got into a lot of financial problems after I got out. I was broke for a while. I, I would have been homeless if it wasn't for my parents. So it just, it just ruins you after a certain point. And then uh, also like, also don't be afraid to reach out to your battle buddies or your shipmates, because I promise you that they'll listen. For sure. Yeah. I promise you it. They're, you know, they know what you're going through and, and they're, they're willing to listen. I just, yeah. I, I appreciate you for talking with us, Matt. Well, I just got a couple more questions and then we could wrap it up. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so the Marine Corps, they're, they're known for being, you know, pretty intense. They're, they're fucking top notch physical shape and, and they're, you know, they're squared away. Like it seems all the time out of all the branches um how ingrained into your brain is that lifestyle and how often do you reflect back on your 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 marine life i think over the years the lifestyle's gotten kind of less and less you know before i just as an example you know i used to just make my bed all the time still after i got out and everything now i'm just like yeah whatever <laughs> it's gonna sleep in that thing again and it's kind of like what's the point um but again like there, there are times when i still have trouble turning it off um but um i'm sorry what was it, the second part oh how, how often do you think back on your mil your marine life I, I still think about it a lot um there's times when i miss it hell for a while there i try to get back in into the reserves but after i got out i got a bunch of tattoos and they changed the tattoo policy so that didn't work out <laughs> but i think that was out of just at that point was when i was in that spiral and i was going downhill and i was just looking to try to get that lifestyle back even though it's not really what i wanted um it was like a comfort thing like you exactly yeah um i so i i, I still reflect on it a lot there's i mean because there were good times i'm not saying that there's not any good yeah, times yeah, there yeah. was some great times you know barracks parties with the boys and everything on the weekends you know or even just being in those bad situations and you're just in that hellhole but you got your boys with you you know yeah. looking back on those, those are still good times and everything and you know even boot camp you know that's still there were still good times about boot camp when you know standing around and drill instructors are freaking hilarious you know and, you, and, and next thing i know i'm getting screamed at because i'm laughing my ass off which is why i usually got in trouble in boot camp because i had no tact or bearing or anything like that um so yeah i i, I still find myself thinking about it a lot and i do miss it but then i just remember the times that were bad and i'm like no, I'm not really <laughs> like, I, I don't miss the sleepless nights i don't miss the not showering for two months or whatever it is you know what i mean i mean at the end of the day it is what it is and there wasn't anything we could do about it but i take two showers a day now even though it's <laughs> not really even when it's not necessary you know so i yeah i i still find myself thinking about it a lot i do miss it to a certain point i kind of wish i would have stayed in a little bit longer maybe grow up a little bit more before i got out but I mean, you can't change the past. It is what it is at this point. 
Yeah, yeah, like I'm approaching 40 now, and and sometimes Josh, let me know if you feel the same way. But like I'm approaching 40, and I, I feel like I would have been a bit better sailor in my 30s than I was in my 20s. Oh yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Wiser doesn't always mean. I don't know. I I don't know if I agree. I think okay. the younger they are, the more manipulated, the more easy they are to manipulate. And I don't know. It would have been interesting. I would have been retired now. <laughs> yeah, I um, think about that too. Yeah, guys, I'm 34. What another? It would have been like one more enlistment, and I would have been retiring pretty soon after that. So I would have been retiring this year, twenty oh, years. Yeah. Um. Did you did you have did you have any experience with the Navy? Start docks, you know, our corpsman. Okay. Um. Other than that, not really any. But you know, if we look at corpsmen as fellow Marines, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That that's pretty much in. That's pretty much where my experience with the Navy cuts off. Same. I've never, I've never worked with or seen a Marine. Me and Josh, we're, we're in the the small boy Navy, so it was just sailor specific. Yeah. What about the Army? Do you guys? Did you ever interact with the Army? Yeah, at Fort Sill. Um, oh yeah. It, it was. Uh, is the artillery school training integrated or is it just Marines? It's just Marines, okay. but they're the barracks that we were in was the same barracks that their uh, recruits were in for their boot camp. So we saw them all like every day marching around with their drill sergeants and everything. But again, that was like the extent of it. We didn't really interact with them unless we saw them out you know, at the store on, on base and everything like that. But even then it was very minimal interaction with them, you know, cause as a young Marine, you're, I'm a fucking badass. You're in the army. You ain't shit. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not like we ever really wanted to interact with them anyway. Right. Well, um, Matt, it's been an absolute pre- pleasure. Uh, thanks for talking to me. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I was able to sit down and talk to a Marine finally kind of get what that what that lifestyle was all about um, yeah man thanks no problem um Vicente our, our mutual friend he introduced he he told me to reach out to you um super cool guy I think his Instagram is 84 metalworks if you guys are into some cool art pieces check out his Instagram really cool guy and uh I don't know you got anything else for us Matt no, like I said, just um, you guys just stay away from all the bad <laughs> stuff after you get out. And like I said, or like you said, don't be afraid to reach out to somebody if you need to. You know, even if it doesn't matter whether you were in combat or struggling with that or if you're just struggling getting out of that freaking mindset, it doesn't matter. Just do it. It's better than going down the path that a lot of other guys have taken. How about you, Josh? You got anything for us? No, Matt, it was a pleasure to meet you. You too, man. Interesting story. Yeah, I was always curious what the Marines had. I would always see the stuff on TV. And, but yeah, that sounds crazy. Cool stories, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, no problem. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Catch us next time. <laughs>